Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors and the stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. In 2020, they created Friends in Fiction to provide author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing, and to highlight independent bookstores. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hi, everyone. Welcome. We have so much to look forward to tonight. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey, and I will be your host. I'm Mary Kay Andrews. Remember me? (laughs) (laughs) I'm Kristen Harmel. (laughs) She's gone one week. She thinks we could possibly forget her. I am Patty Callahan. And this is Friends in Fiction, New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support independent bookstores. Tonight, you'll meet Taylor Jenkins Reid. We're so excited. Um, And we will talk about her gorgeous new book, Malibu Rising, which released on June 1st and was hands down one of my favorite books of the year. And also in our continuing support of indie booksellers, tonight our bookstore of the week is Book Soup. Located in good old Los Angeles, California. We will tell be telling you a little bit more about that in just a little while. And we have a partner tonight that we want to thank so much, Caroline's Cakes. This yeah. month, the five of us are taking a bite out of summer with Caroline's Cakes. All month long, we'll be telling you about our beach bag must-haves, favorite reads of the summer, our ideal Labor Day weekend, and our favorite Caroline's Cake Bite flavor on our individual Facebook and on our Instagram. So make sure you're following all of us. And we are offering you the chance to win the ultimate Labor Day weekend beach bag Brimming with sa- swag, sag, swag, swag, friends <laughs> and fiction. Swag Swag and Caroline's. Information is under announcements on our Facebook page. And some of you might know that the other ladies of the Fab Five call me Peach. (laughs) And to explain that, it's not because I'm so peachy. It's because my initials are PCH. And so I have to tell you that it is actually National Peach Month. Mm -hmm. So all month long, the ladies are going to send me gifts. Yes. Right. Right. Yes. Is that what's happening? That's, that's, I don't. I don't think I'm. Do you know I list the memo about that? <laughs> Mary Kay just went. Hmm. You miss okay. one. Week, you miss one week, and then you don't get the memo. So oh, yeah, that's right. Yes. Last week we all voted that you were going to send them all, Mary Kay. That's yeah. that's the yes. plan. Yeah. Month-long peach gifts. Yeah. Anyway, they have they have a decadent peach delight cake. So I just thought I'd let you know that. Mm, yummy. And you already know that we partner with Parade Magazine every single week online. We stream from their Facebook page for our show, and we have an original essay in their online magazine every week. This week, Mary Kay wrote a really beautiful one about how everyone has a story of their own called What Dream Do You Have? You can find it linked on our Facebook page and in our Instagram bio. But um, meanwhile, Mary Kay, can you tell us a little bit about it? 
Yeah, I was inspired to um, write the essay after I was after I read a New York Times profile about Olympic gymnast um, Simone Biles. You know, her story started with a mother struggling with addiction issues, and she was she and her younger sister were in and out of foster care until her grandfather stepped in and adopted the two of them. Wow. Now that story could have had a really different ending. And that sort of started me thinking about examining a crossroads in my career and my life and how taking control of my ambitions changed my outcome. Mm. And, um, you know, the, the thing is, I think, I think maybe as women, sometimes we, we feel like we don't control our own narrative. And so I wonder mm. ladies, if there was a time in your life story where you just had to grab the wheel. You know, that's interesting that you say that about women feeling like you can't control your own narrative. And I think that's one of the best lessons you can learn as an adult, as an adult woman. And, and for me, I think the moment was making the switch from writing romantic comedy to writing historical fiction, which is not what I was being told I should do. It was not what I was being told I could do. Um, And I thought, but that's where my heart is. And that's what I need to try to do. Um, and, And I think summoning that courage to chart my own path. Uh, and I, yes, I did say chart ladies. Um, <laughs> I wasn't going to so, say a word. Summoning that card, it's like, it's like it, I missed it. It just went <laughs> was nodding. That, summoning that courage. I, I think made a, um, a, a big difference in my life. So I could probably have the same answer as both of you, if I guess what you're going to say, but I thought it says me a little different because um, this is might sound silly to some people, but um, deciding to move to Beaufort, to move to the beach. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but there were like a million reasons that we shouldn't. And there were a lot of people who told us we couldn't do that and we couldn't live there and that wasn't yeah. okay. And yeah. um, it was like a, it, it felt like a really, really big step and a huge decision to be like, you know, actually, why, why can't we? What if we, what if we could? And, um, yeah. Yeah. and it's been great. I'm so glad we did it. It's awesome. I mean, Mary Kay, when I read, you know, I texted you after I finished reading it. I just thought it was such a beautiful essay. And I felt like, and you put a little list at the bottom and, and I printed it because it's really, really, I mean, we talk all the time, but it just was this really great, it kind of hit the right notes, but there's, it it has something to do with agency, right? Like with taking agency of our own life and saying, you do not get to define me. And I mean, most people here know I was a pediatric nurse before I started writing. And when I met Mary Kay Andrews at a Christmas party, a company Christmas party, gosh, it's probably been 25 years. I was afraid to say, I'm writing a book. I pulled her aside and whispered like, like I was asking for a porn channel. I was like, will you, will you you go out to lunch with me and talk about writing? And I feel like the simile of the night goes to Patty. (laughs) I should have thought about that before I said it, but anyway, it's, it's just, but you do, you feel like it's, it's embarrassing to say, I want to take agency of my own life and do this new thing that nobody I know is doing and, and be brave enough to whisper it to somebody else. And then you just kind of go from there. So reading that essay made me remember that Mary Kay. Thank you. So true, buddy. I'll try Um, to not talk about that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) No no more porn. porn. I'm, I'm so the last person that has the 
porn channel, but <laughs> I I really want to hear what Taylor has to say about that. And you know, we we, we about the porn channel. <laughs> no, I mean maybe I don't I don't know. Uh, we just met, but uh, <laughs> you know, we love sharing with all of you. We love sharing our big news with you first, and we have we've got a little something. I just spit on myself. That's unfortunate. <laughs> Well, you know, we do have something cool to share with you tonight. And I think that was the perfect segue, not the spit part, but yeah, what we were talking about earlier. Because we were talking about making courageous leaps into something a little bit new, yeah. a, a little bit of an unexpected direction. So without further ado, we are so excited to share with you the brand new cover of Christie's March 29th, 2022 release, The Wedding Veil. Sean, can you Drum roll. Drum roll. Drum roll. Isn't it gorgeous? It's so pretty. Beautiful. I love it. I love We're it. always spoiled because we always get to see it first, but yeah. we never lose our reaction. We're like, no, oh, they've so seen every all 277 iterations of the That's wedding. Cover. This is the winner. <laughs> this is the winner. Yeah. <laughs> Christy, so Christy, do you want to tell us? Oh, sorry. You have <laughs> you want to tell us about tell us about the wedding veil. I want to hear about it, not just okay. the cover. Super quickly. I'm so excited about this book. Um, so Edith Vanderbilt, who was the first mistress of Biltmore Estate, which you can see in the background there, um, had this really almost kind of mythic family wedding veil that was worn by her grandmother, her mother, her sisters, her daughter, Cornelia, and then it disappeared. So fast forward about 100 years and um, fictional Julia Baxter is standing in the back of the church in the bridal room getting ready. Her grandmother is getting ready to put her wedding veil on her head. And um, it all of a sudden hits her that her, her marriage isn't going to last. And then she's going to be the one to sully the magic of her family wedding veil. And so um, we get to follow these four women from these very different time periods who are facing um, some really similar situations, but in very different time periods. Um, and this, uh, each of their wedding veils kind of becomes this, um, this, symbol of something that they have to let go of in order to move forward in their lives. And of course, we get to find out my version, of course, of what happens to the real life Vanderbilt veil. So I'm really excited. Oh, and I was going to tell you guys, um, I am doing a fun little pre-order freebie that I know we do sometimes. Um, And so if you pre-order, there is a there should be a post on Facebook shortly um, you get this really pretty the wedding veil, rosebud tea, and um, so a book plate sweet. and a bookmark. And awesome. yeah, so pre-order, sign up. Anyway, I can't wait to share it with y'all. I'm so excited. Yay. Awesome. Yay. Okay, so now let's talk about our incredible guest, Taylor Jenkins Reed. No, wait. The New York yeah. Times bestselling author of seven novels, including Malibu Rising, Daisy Jones and the Six, and The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Um, she's kind of a slacker. Yeah. Yeah. Books, yeah. yeah. That's true. Nothing. Her books have been selected by Reese's book club. And that's Reese Witherspoon. Read with Jenna, <laughs> Indie next. Is it? <laughs> I mean, oh, thanks for clarifying. Thanks. Some people might not know. I don't know. Some people live in caves. What do you want? <laughs> anyway, uh, Indie next, best of Amazon book of the month. And they've been featured in people <laughs> weekly entertainment weekly and car and driver. <laughs> Oh my lord. I see you're on a mission to make sure we don't forget you again. Is is that what this is? Yeah, she's staking her claim. I'm back. 
All right. So for, <laughs> so for Taylor's novel, uh, Daisy Jones and the Six, she wrote not only the novel, but also the lyrics for each song Amazing. featured in the book, which is so cool. So the cool. novel was named one of the best books of 2019 by NPR, The mm-hmm. Washington Post, Car and Driver. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding about that. And many other media outlets. Although I'm sure if Car and Driver had a book pick, this would be it. Yes, it is currently it. being adapted into a limited TV series for Amazon by Hello Sunshine. So also, cool. right? Reese Witherspoon's company. Yep. Yep. Starring Riley Keough, who of course is Elvis's granddaughter, which seems of very, very cool. In this book. Yeah. Very fitting. Yeah, it was when they were talking about, you know, when she sold the rights and they were talking about yeah. casting the movie, I was like, please don't mess up Daisy. Please don't mess yeah, up Daisy. Please don't mess up Daisy. It's a great pick. It's yeah, a great pick. So yep. Taylor lives in Los Angeles with her husband and her five-year-old daughter and her new book, Malibu Rising, came out in June and was a Read with Jenna book club pick. It is also set to be adapted into a series for Hulu. The novel follows the four famous Reva siblings, through one eventful night, one party, mm-hmm. in the summer of 1983. Sounds like spring break. Anyway, during their annual end of summer party, secrets are revealed, and over the span of just a few hours, lives are changed forever. Yeah. Mm. Good Amazing. Stuff. All right. Well, Sean, let's bring Taylor on. Hi, Hi Taylor. Hello. Thank it's you really to be here. Thank you for coming. Welcome. We're so excited um, to be here. We're so excited for you. Um, you have not one, but two books on the New York Times bestseller list yep. for is it the 10th week the Malibu Rising's been on? Yeah, 10 weeks yeah. as of today. Yeah. That's and then awesome. The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo is on paperback and combined, right? Yes. Yeah. So exciting. Wow. Well, um, before we get started, could you tell us just a little bit about Malibu Rising? Yeah, I would love to. Um, Malibu Rising is the story of the Riva family, and they are uh, four siblings um, living in Malibu in the early 80s. They're all surfers. Nina, the oldest, is a, a supermodel, and, and Jay is like a championship surfer, and Hud's a surf photographer, and Kit is like the the bold, risky one who's maybe the most talented of them all. And they're throwing a rager at the end of the summer in 1983. Um, and, and Malibu Rising is a story of that day. So you go through the day with them hour by hour going into the party to see this wild night unfold because you know that by the end of it, somehow, somewhere, somebody sets a fire and the whole thing ends in flames. Well, it was... Truly incredible. Um, and I, I read in an interview that you did that your favorite quote is, everyone wants to be Cary Grant, even Cary Grant, which was said by Cary Grant. And <laughs> you that. said, yeah. I think that's the very essence of what I've been writing about for three books now. And when I read that, I was like, yes, like it just hit me like in the exact right spot. So as someone who has devoured and loved your last three books, like I really feel that quote for these books. But can for those people who maybe haven't read all of your books yet can you or those three books can you tell us what you meant by that yeah yeah well so so when I was a kid I was really really uh obsessed with Hollywood and Mm. it was it was on two levels it was I was really obsessed with movies Mm -hmm. um and tv and then I was also really obsessed with the people that made them 
the actors, the writers, directors, what's the story behind the story that I'm learning. And when I came across that quote, when I was a teenager and I was really, I went through a really intense Cary Grant phase where I like everything that he was in. And I just still to this day, I just am endlessly charmed by him. And so I came across that quote and what I realized is whatever this fiction is that we're being sold, whether it's the story or even what we're told is the behind the scenes truth, it's, it's all manufactured. Yeah, it's right. not real. Even Cary Grant, who is the most debonair, dashing, charming, romantic hero, even Cary Grant doesn't feel like Cary Grant. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. And that broke a lot of things open for me. You know, when I was a teenager, it was more like, isn't this the most clever quote you've ever heard? You know, and I would yeah. tell everybody, my best friend at the time was like, I get it. Everybody wants to be Cary Grant. <laughs> Grant, Cary Grant. You know, and like <laughs> fun of it. I, was, I was just really obsessed with it. And then later on, when I started writing about famous people, I realized I'm. I was. I kept. I'm, I keep coming back to that same theme that there's a difference between what you're being sold and what's actually happening, and that yeah. tension and the tension between those two things mm-hmm. is what my work is about. Love it. That's so. Yeah, that's so well said. So how do you balance that? You know, you have these really glittering worlds, but you're also revealing this kind of deep, dark underbelly of, you know, some of the most idealized things that, you know, we can think of rock stars, movie stars, models, famous surfers. So how do you balance? Because I still feel like in these stories, even though you know that deep, dark underbelly, you still leave with the sense of this kind of there's still a little bit of glitter, you know, yes. to be had yep. in these worlds for sure. And you balance that so well. So can you talk about that? Thank you. I think really what it is is that I like the glitter just as much as I like yeah. the truth, you yeah. know? And, yeah. and if you're not gonna if you're not gonna indulge in the glitter, then why are we here? Why are we in Hollywood? Why are we on the Sunset Strip? Why are we on the beach? Um, hanging yeah. out with supermodels, you know, yeah. like you know, I want it to be fun and I want you to be able to feel those moments where where like everything sort of shines um, because what's fun to me is the difference and, and the, the, um, the juxtaposition of those two things. Yeah. Everything looks really glittery and shiny and everybody's rich and beautiful. Are their lives better than ours? Yeah. Probably not. They, everyone has problems. Yeah. And so yeah. uh, I like, I, I think what it is is tr- trying to tell the truth as close as I can get to it. And the truth is that it is both seedy and glamorous. You know, yeah. 70s rock is really super cool. And also there is a sadness in it. There, yeah. you know, um, being a rock star is probably super fun. And at the same time, really chaotic and hard to yeah. do. And so I think the truth is that there is a balance of those things and I'm trying to get there as close as I can. Yeah, that's awesome. Love well, that. you do an amazing job. I mean, in Daisy Jones in the six, you know, one minute you're wishing you were her and the next minute you're like, oh, thank God. Yeah. I don't have that yeah. life. That's right? so true. You, yeah. you do yeah. such an incredible job of the and mm-hmm. both with that instead yeah. of the either or. So thank you. Thank kudos. You. As a high school Greek mythology geek. (laughs) I love that you have said, 
I return to myth, the retelling of tales as old as time. Mm-hmm. How do you think that the reading and the learning of these stories has influenced you, mythology in general, has influenced you as a writer, in particular with Malibu Rising, which does feel mythic in a lot of ways. And so does Daisy Jones and the Six. It's very much a mythic tale of rock and roll. So how has mythology affected your storytelling? Uh, I love that question. I think, you know, for me, and it's been a process of learning this throughout the, um, I guess, seven books that I've I publish now is that you have stories that that are can be really good stories and then stories that sort of transcend just yes. the book that they're in they become larger than just that moment and for me you know the most obvious place that we go to for that is are, are these myths that we keep telling in our society over and over and over um when, you know, Phoebe Waller-Bridge says this really great thing about like, you have to go Greek in order to really get into the real meat of something. You know, what is the Greek tragedy that, that we're exploring at any given time? And I think um, what I realized, and it's funny because what, what led me to it was more um, not technically uh, myth, but The Great Gatsby. Mm-hmm. It's a book that I think transcends the story, the characters. Yeah. Daisy Buchanan isn't just a character. She is an archetype for a yep. type yes. of person. Yes. You know, Jay Gatsby is not just one person. He's specific, but it's also the, 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 this specific person you becoming universal. He yeah. is the embodiment of a dream that will not die. And so how do you make a character who isn't just in that specific story, but becomes a, becomes representative of something much larger and myth teaches us how to do that. And so with Evelyn Hugo, with Daisy Jones, with Nina Riva, it's a question of, you know, what about them can I create that at least for me feels big and bigger than just the, this moment that we're learning about them in the story. I, I think the word archetype just nails it on the head, that right? Is, so if yeah. you can, when you take Nina or you take Jay's Daisy, they are an archetype of a very specific kind of person. Mm-hmm. And then you give them such detailed peculiarities that they are a daisy I can see in my mind, right? Yeah. And and same with Nina, but they're also representative. Yeah. So so I really love that. And in Malibu Rising, surfing feels symbolic too, and almost yeah. religious, like a religious yeah. experience. Yeah. I've never surfed because my sense of balance is about as good as a toddler. So <laughs> so why surfing? What does it mean? To you, I can tell you've done it. There's no way you could describe it that way without having been on a board. Um, so um, what does it mean to you and the Reba family? Patty, I might have I might have fooled you a bit there. I am oh, wow. I, I've been on a board for about 20 minutes in Hawaii on vacation, and it was embarrassing. It okay, was I feel so okay. much better. I, I am shocked <laughs> by that because yeah. I was shocked. like, this woman is a surfer. Yes. Well, it's thank so you. Realistic. I, you know, yeah. I like to, I like to pretend. And, and so I really, <laughs> I learned a lot about it and then I pretended 
for a while. That's what and we do. That's what really, we do. Yeah. It's really, it was really fun to do. I think here's the thing about surfing that I, I came to appreciate both talking to surfers, learning about surfing, and also as just someone that loves the water. Yeah. Um, it's one of the only sports that I can think of that requires you have a relationship to mother nature. You cannot surf if yeah. the water is not good for surfing. And you, you, yeah. if you think, oh, I don't really feel like surfing today, you could miss an incredible once in a lifetime wave. That is, you know, yeah. that's just not the same. If somebody's playing soccer or somebody's playing tennis or somebody's playing football. Those are an own, a different type of reward structure, but you have to have a relationship with the ocean and you have to have a respect for yeah. the ocean in order to surf. And I think that's a really, really beautiful thing. When you talk to surfers, people that get up at, you know, early in the morning to get out there they get in especially we're talking about california surfers the pacific ocean is very cold you know you're you're getting up you're going into the cold cold water you're putting on a wetsuit you're doing it because you love the ocean you love to surf yeah. and that chance that you might just find the perfect wave and ride it perfectly um that's a thing that does require some level of chance that can easily become spiritual and religious. Mm, I love this, it. This ocean, you know, this wave was given to me. Mm, um, and I felt I that way. That, felt I that found way. that just really, really fascinating. Mm -hmm. No wave, you know, like, like I was watching this documentary about Kelly Slater and he has a picture of this like perfect wave that he did not yeah. get. And it's yeah. like this is the wave that that he that got away. You know, the number one name in surfing. This is the guy like that that is known to be a phenomenal surfer. And even for him, there's that wave that eludes you. Yeah. And I think it's that makes it it's a sport, but it's an adventure. It's mm -hmm. uh it's a give and take. Uh I just yeah. I find that really, really fascinating. Yeah, it's a great yeah. example of world building. Right yeah. yeah, yeah, because you don't. I mean, so many of us we we create these worlds that we don't actually in real life know anything about or have any mm -hmm. talent for. Um, you know, Taylor, beneath the shimmering facade of the world you created in Malibu Rising, there's a very real and very painful family past that twists and turns, and it affects each of the siblings' present lives in a real way. I mean, Nina falls into fame, not because she wants to or is seeking it, because she has, but because she has to support her yeah. siblings. And her entire life is then dictated by her devotion to her family. And she's such a fascinating character. I loved how the outer world defined her by her beauty, but she never really took much stock in it. And mm -hmm. the rest of it, the lens she sees her life through, revolves around how she's able to manage the happiness of her siblings. And, you know, more than any other person, I think she is, must be the true embodiment of the Hollywood persona that is one person publicly and then somebody completely different inside. Mm -hmm. And I wondered what, if there was anybody who inspired her character and, you know, we've, we're seeing questions popping up from viewers wanting to know, is it Stevie Nicks? Yeah. 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 
You know, it's funny with every book, there's always somebody that you can point to that it, that it seems like I'm writing about. Right. So Daisy Jones seems like it's about Stevie Nicks or seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo, especially for people that haven't read it. Seems like it's about Liz Taylor. Um, you know, for, for this, I think Nina Riva comes closest to somebody like Brooke Shields, somebody in the public eye, you know, who's, who's, image was sort of controlled for them and sexualized for yeah. them um, especially by a stage mom yeah and 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 oddly enough and i swear i didn't do this on purpose because they didn't brooke shields did not occur to me until many drafts later but brooke shields <laughs> then went on to marry a tennis star parallels there but leave out the big clap I really try very hard to make sure that if i'm inspired by somebody and the most direct inspiration for any of these books was my love of Stevie Nicks wanting to write something, you know, in that vein. But I just have this thing where I feel like I don't want to use an actual right. this person's life. Yeah. You know? yeah, so sure. I try to make sure nothing that happens in Daisy Jones happened to Stevie Nicks. Right. Really. Or like, you know, there's, there are things that you can read and you'll say, Oh, maybe this is Elizabeth Taylor and Evelyn Hugo, but there's a lot of stuff about Evelyn Hugo that is very different than Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. You know? And so same with Brooke Shields for this one, there's, there's a sense and you see that they maybe would occupy the same space within, you know, I'm yeah. in a fictional culture and Brooke Shields yeah. is our real culture. Yeah. Um, but then how do they, how do they differ from there? And so did a lot of research about Brooke Shields and I found her just really, really uh, fascinating. And, and some of the things that Nina goes through in terms of the way that she's seen and the way that she's treated by the men around her um, was, was not dissimilar to Brooke Shields, Calvin Klein campaign. Back then. Ah, and it, wow. kind of goes back to, it kind of goes back to the point at which Brooke Shields decided to take over her own narrative. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, mm -hmm. people are also and fascinated with Nick, Mick Riva, the shadowy presence in their lives, always gone, but always there. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Did you set out to make Mick a foil for Nina? I well, or is he was, one? Yeah. I mean, look, Mick has been now in three of my books. He's, yeah. he's mentioned very yeah. briefly in Daisy Jones, but he he shows up for the first time in Evelyn Hugo. And really, to be honest, he he came to me as a foil for Evelyn Hugo. It, this was, oh. you know, especially, he is her third husband. The scene, um, he's he really just occupies like one chapter. And... Uh, it's funny. I don't remember that. Like, I love yeah. that book so much, but I don't. I didn't. I didn't put that together. So I've yeah. got to go back and like look at that. Yeah. Again. So, so yeah. Um, he he is the husband that Evelyn marries in Vegas, and um, he serves a very specific purpose in that story, and and um, a big part of that purpose was ha you know somebody who thinks that they have that they're one step ahead of Evelyn. But nobody's ever a step ahead of Evelyn. Evelyn is always in charge. And so I really enjoyed writing him um, as someone who, you know, was going to sort of get his comeuppance a little bit. And so I then, in Daisy Jones, I had this scene where I wanted to put somebody who had been in one in Evelyn Hugo in the book. And I had this opportunity to put him in a scene where he just seemed like a real cad. And I thought, well, that works. And then... <laughs> <laughs> and then and then what I realized with Malibu Rising is that I wanted to write a story about the children of famous people. Yeah. 
when that lens is not is not something that you chose. It's something mm. that was chosen for you. Absolutely. And I wanted to write about children who had to raise themselves because their parents weren't there. Yes. And so if you, so basically it comes down to like, okay, who's the famous man who's going to leave his kids? That's McRae. Yeah, you had him. Yeah. You, know? you already knew him. Yeah, yeah. you already know him. But, but what was nice, what was a nice opportunity for me to explore was that um, Mick Reva is a man and, and I had a lot of fun writing him because he's the sort of man who in our society, handsome, white, charming, talented men yeah. are often able to get away with so much. Yeah. We will excuse their behavior time and time again if we can. We will sometimes trip over ourselves to be like, oh, well, you understand. Like, I don't think he really meant that, you know. Right. He was um, messed up on drugs. He went into rehab yeah. right after that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if they're handsome enough and talented enough and charming yeah. enough and they're a man, especially white <sighs> men, we yep. will excuse it all. Yeah, that's and true. so what I wanted to think about was not, it's not – it's not necessarily that man that I'm as interested in, but if this is a guy who will just blow up anything and let the chips fall where they may and, and devil may care, yeah. there's probably a woman behind him cleaning it all up. Yeah. Who's the person who, who has to do the work that Mick Reba is not bothering to do? Yeah. So he's going to have these kids and then he's going to get bored of being, yeah. you know, a, a conventional dad. He's going to take off. Who are the women left behind raising those children? Yeah. And that becomes the story of Nina Riva. And, and yeah. so that the story really took shape for me at that moment. Show me the woman who's cleaning up the messes. Yeah. And, and let's see what that life is like. And let's see if there's a mess that, that, is just so vast that she will finally say no. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I, I found that, um, that's so interesting about Nina, but, um, you know, I, I felt like her mother June was such an interesting, deceptively complex character too, because she was really the first one cleaning up the messes, right. And setting that precedent for it. Um, so Taylor, I wanted to just ask you a question about yourself. Um, you moved to Hollywood at the age of 21, right? Yeah. And before becoming a novelist, you did stints in entertainment tech casting mm -hmm. and even TV writing. How cool. Yes. I know yeah. how cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Can you talk a little bit about where you're from, what drew you to Hollywood and how you finally turned to writing about fame and Tinseltown? Yeah. I, you know, I am from Acton, Massachusetts. I love Massachusetts with my whole heart. I miss mm. it dearly. Um, I especially yeah. miss it now when it's so hot here in California. Yeah. And I'm, I know I'm like seeing that like Starbucks is like about to start their pumpkin spice latte. And I'm like, <laughs> like, oh, oh. Other areas like back home, it's going to start to cool down soon. And like, it won't here. And yeah. I ache for my, my, you know, fall foliage, but um, you know, I just always, always knew, you know, you could, you could ask me at eight years old, 10 years old, 12 years old. It didn't matter. What do you want to do when you grow up? I'm going to Hollywood. That was yeah, the thing. Awesome. I knew what I wanted. And it was, I was obsessed with Hollywood film, television. I couldn't have told you what exactly I wanted to do, but I knew that that's what it was. 
So I went to film and television school in Boston. I came out here when I turned 21. I got a job in casting um, and loved it. It was so fun and everything that I thought it would be. And like, you know, I'm like, I'm 21 years old. I'm working my first job out of college. There's all these like stars from WB soap operas coming in, you know, where it's like, oh, Scott Speedman from Felicity is here. (laughs) Just walked in, you know, like I was in heaven. I loved it. But I don't know why. I just, I remember coming into work morning after morning and I would have this moment where I was like, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm feeling I'm it's not exactly right. Yeah. And it took me a while to figure it out. And that's why I I bounced from place to place. But eventually what I realized is I'm really, really interested in storytelling and I'm really interested in character. And that's why casting was very interesting to me. But ultimately I want to make the characters. I I want to create that world. And so I tried my hand at writing film once or twice, tried, you know, a little bit of TV. And then I was like, you know, I would, I mean, I just love books. And so I gave that a shot. And that was like, you know, it's, it's not unlike when you meet the love of your life. Like when I met my husband and halfway through our first date, I was like, I've known you for years. And and that's what writing books. I love that. That's what it was for me. It was like, here it is. This is the thing I was meant to do. And it took me a little while to piece together that I could write books about how much I love Hollywood. And I love once that. those two things came together, I really feel like I'm in this phase of my career where I can, I can just say definitively from, from the purest place of my heart, I'm doing what I love and I'm writing the books that I want to see on the shelf. And it's just such a lovely feeling. You know, God, I love that so much. And, you know, I'm so interested though, how you're, perspective has shifted because you write about fame, you write about Hollywood, you write about, as we were talking about earlier, the glamour on one side, but kind of the seedy underbelly of it on the other side, the the dark side to it. When you started off doing that though, you didn't, you didn't have a name yet, right? Like you, you were, you were breaking into the business. You were looking at it from kind of the outside. Now in the last couple of years, I feel like your career has exploded. And as a novelist, you've really become a household name. You've achieved that level of novelist fame. Has that changed the way you look at the subject matter you're writing about? Now you have a little bit or a lot of that fame that you're writing about and you're a little bit more on the inside of seeing that picture Mm -hmm. than you were before. Yeah. I mean, it's not dissimilar, I guess, to like when you start out as a rapper who's like (laughs) on the hood and then, and then suddenly you're and it's not, you know, it's like, I'm, it's like Bruce Springsteen writing about being in the factory. And then it's like, we know Springsteen's not in the factory anymore. (laughs) You know, I mean, I mean, look, there are certainly elements of my life where I'm seeing some of the things that I've written about because I'm a public facing person. Um, I feel really, really like, I immediately need to reject the idea that I'm in any way famous um, because novelists just have such a different relationship to, to their readers than I think any traditional. Um, But, but I definitely look, I'm writing a book now and there are passages where I feel like I'm, I'm writing about like there was, I mean, I'm writing a book about a famous woman, who was surprised. And, um, <laughs> and I had the scene where she's like, not as nice as me. And she was like, I don't want to sign people's 
stuff and I don't understand why anyone needs my autograph or whatever. And then I was like, I hope people don't think I'm saying that, you know, yeah. because you start oh, yeah. to there's yeah. a, you know, I, my career is changing. Yeah. And um, so look, there's some growing pains in that regard, but I am writing about people that I still think are vastly, vastly different from myself. People yeah. with yeah. massive audiences and, and a, and a need to tell a story about their lives that I love writing about, but personally I could not do. Um, I'm really, really bad at any kind of acting or insincerity. Um, you get what you get with me. And, you know, it's like, I'm just hanging out at home with my daughter trying to decide if I should go to McDonald's. And that's kind of like who I am and I'm yeah. not able to pretend to be glamorous. And so, um, there's some tension there, but in general, I think I, uh, I'm I'm much more boring than my protagonist. <laughs> so we we have live questions and people love chiming in from the audience. So Allison Hammer, who's one of our favorite authors yeah, and a friend yeah, of ours, yeah. she just wrote in and says that she absolutely loves how inventive your story structures are. I think we we agree. And she asked, when you're working on a book, do you set out to do something that's never been done before? Or this part's for me, or does it just naturally arise from the storytelling? Uh, it's really important to me that I not do something that I've done before, mm -hmm. but I'm not um, so bold as to think that I've done anything that hasn't been done before. Okay. Um, I, I, really am just trying to make sure I don't repeat myself. I'm challenging myself. I'm taking on something new. And also I'm trying to write a story that feels immersive. I'm trying to feel a story that feels like it's putting you in it. And so what is the structure that allows me to do that? Um, and it may be a less conventional structure in order for me to put the reader there the way that I want to. So with Malibu Rising, you know, it, it takes place over 24 hours. It's divided into each hour. Um, yeah. And the reason for that is that I want you to feel like you're, you have that feeling of like the yeah. day before the party. And yeah. I want you to feel like, oh, the party's starting. We got to get dressed, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, I want you to feel like, oh, the party's just started. There's not as many people here. And then it's like, Oh, geez, there's way too many people at this party. You know, like I want you to feel that and not just witness it from a distance. And so yeah. every time I'm starting a book, it's how do I serve the story best? And I'm yeah. totally open to that being something bonkers like, oh, an oral history of a fake famous man. Like yeah. that's yeah. what I think it takes, then that's what I'm going to do. That's Love awesome. It. All right. We have another question from Renee Carruth Minton. She says, I hear your next book will be set in the 90s. Can you tell us anything about it? I'm already excited for the next one. Uh, well, I thank you. I love that. It is set in the 90s and it's about a famous woman, as I was saying earlier. And, and um, I look, there's not much more I can say about it, but I will say this. I, I see Evelyn Hugo, Daisy Jones, Malibu Rising in this next one as a sort of quartet that they oh, are a set that goes together. These are my four stories about women living in the public eye. And there's a very specific type of woman that I have not written about yet. And I, I'm really enjoying writing about. She's um, 
you know, it's a it's a different sort of relationship with the public, and I have had a lot of fun digging into it. So. Oh, we are so curious. Oh man! Okay, I think we should all guess who she's writing about. Inspired, <laughs> inspired by, inspired by. Probably Meg Walker just Harry, said Harry tease. Andrews. Yeah. <laughs> no, here's what I think. And I wish I thought, I mean, Martha Stewart. Ooh. Ooh. That's a good one. That is a good That's one. A good one. She says yeah, that she looks away and drinks yeah. her cup. Who could it be? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, though. It's, obviously not, it's obviously not Martha Stewart. Guys, <laughs> guess. Oh, Courtney Love. Somebody's guessing Courtney Love. That is a great guess. It is not Courtney Love. There's no, there's no corollary. It's not Brittany either. But God, I would love to write that book. Right. Sorry. Wow. Wow. Here's why I won't. Because Brittany has shown me and taught me such a valuable lesson that I feel like I learned time and time again, which is that uh, nobody owns Brittany's story but Brittany. That nobody owns these women's stories but themselves. And look, if Brittany wants to tell her story, I will be first in line to buy it. I love Brittany. And I love Courtney Love too. And Courtney Love is is um, uh, a really good guest. I would love to do a Courtney Love story as well. But um, again, Courtney Love's very good at telling her own story. Yeah, yeah that's does. a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. true. Well, I wanted to ask something really quickly um, that we just haven't quite gotten to yet, but I'm really fascinated by. We know you have uh, two TV adaptations in the works. Um, and we heard that Daisy Jones is in filming now. So can you tell us a little bit about the process of bringing the book to the screen and how involved have you been in that? Yeah, I mean, it's my involvement depends on the project. So right. sometimes I'm really involved, sometimes I'm less involved. And, and it also has to do with um, who I'm choosing to work with. What's incredible about Daisy Jones in particular is that I mean, it's just like a dream. Um, mm. The team that they put together for it is top notch. And I chose the screenwriters in particular, Scott Newsom and Michael Weber, because I am huge fans of theirs. That's and awesome. um, and so that one was, uh, I just handed it over. And okay. they've done a beautiful job, a beautiful okay. job. I called Scott Newsom after reading the drafts and I was like, I couldn't have asked for anything more. I really That's couldn't. Awesome. And it's a lovely, lovely feeling. And so they're going to start shooting that soon. The cast is incredible. The music is so good. The scripts are great. I'm like, can't be- I just can't believe I'm pinching myself. But like, I think it's I think it's great. I think people are going to love it. Yeah. Um, Mal Rising was a book that just took me so much longer to write. It has so many different mm-hmm. pieces in it that um, I've stayed on as uh, an executive producer on that one. And so mm-hmm. I'm helping to shape the, the direction of that story. But I have mm-hmm. to tell you, again, we found just the most incredible writers. We have two women, Liz Tigelar and Amy Talkington. They really get the story. They get the characters. They get what I'm trying to do. You know, my first conversation with Amy Talkington was like two hours and we just couldn't stop talking about all the things that we had in common and that we wanted to wanted this project to talk about. So I get to be more involved in Malibu, but to be honest, I'm also not really needed. Amy has got it (laughs) job and she's putting together just an incredible first episode uh, at the moment. And, you know, we'll see how things unfold from there. 
Awesome. That's great. Well, we can't wait. I can't wait. I'm so excited. I know we all can't wait to watch them. So it'll be great. Yeah. I, I also can't wait. I'm very <laughs> excited. Yeah, I'm sure. Our Sean just asked if you needed a composer. <laughs> He's, He's a composer. an amazing composer. Awesome. Mind. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Mary Kay, do you want to take over? What, what am I supposed to ask? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. We are really polished here. <laughs> We're really, we have it together. I just, I just yeah. got here. Um, no, so I know what I'm supposed to ask. Um, Taylor, every we we love to ask our author guests um, for a writing tip, and really, what we just want to know is how do we write a book that stays on the list for 10 weeks and right. then immediately gets sold to Hollywood. Could you just like really it, quickly? I don't think any of you ladies need help. I think you're all doing pretty well. Um, but but I, I hear you on the writing tip. I think the thing for me um, that I have found, and it's something that I've learned from reading some of the women that I just, love uh, Madeline Miller comes to mind as a great example oh, of this, which is, you know, write the story that only you yeah. know how to write that uniquely, you know, yeah. you, you are uniquely right for. And, and yeah. I think I've found that um, in, in writing about fame, I think I found my lane, that thing that feels like I know how to do this and not everybody yeah. knows this world. And I think, what Madeline does with Greek myth, again, when we're talking about, Patty, you know, is like she has a unique talent to understand both the classical mythology and the academic aspects of, of what she's writing about and the ability to write a immensely readable, hugely yeah. emotional, tender, soapy, great literary piece. Yep. And yeah. So she is doing this thing that feels like unapologetically who she is. Yeah. And I will show up for that every time. Even yeah. if it's like, even if I was a person who's like, I don't know if I like Greek myth, you read Circe and you are in the hands of the only person who could tell yeah. you the story that way. Yeah. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And with every next book, I'm trying to think not just like what's a good idea, but like what am I so excited about yeah. that yeah. it feels like only I right now can do this. Yeah, that's a good point. I love that. Yeah, um, so that is a great tip. And I'm just going to go off and write my next, you know, 10 week on the New York Times list bestseller immediately after this show. That sounds great. Yeah. Only you could write. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I, I should have it down by about 3 a.m. No problem. Um, so, <laughs> Taylor, do you have a book you'd like to recommend that you've read recently that, uh, that you think we might like? I do. I um, just finished. I, I, I've been talking about this book to anyone that will listen to me. I think it is the perfect book for people to read if they liked Malibu Rising. And it's the perfect book for people to read if they're super into J-Lo and Ben Affleck right now. Um, which I'm is, taking notes. Yeah, great. <laughs> it's called The View is Exhausting. It's by Michaela Conlon. Uh, sorry, that's not right. Michaela Clements and Anjali Dada. And it's okay. about an A-list actress. She's got a scandal. In order to weather her scandal in the public eye, she takes up with her, like, friend, playboy, you know, once crush, um, 
because the public loves it when they're together. And so the two of them are going to go on yachts all around wherever uh, and and try to look like this is a real relationship to get her out of some hot water. But Ooh. Ooh, I wonder if that's what JLo's doing. I know. I know. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> well, but, it's like Jennifer Aniston and, and David Schwimmer after all the Friends reunion uh, stuff. I know. <laughs> I don't know. But it's a, if that kind of stuff, if you like that kind of stuff, this book is just super cool, awesome. super fun, just like just a knockout. Awesome. Great That's recommendation. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. All right, Taylor. We have to have some announcements and busy work, but you're not going anywhere, please, because we have another question for you. But And same with all of you out there. But first, we want to remind you, all of you out there, one of my favorite things that we do besides this live show is our podcasts. And not only is the show a podcast, but every single Friday, we have a new Writer's Block podcast with our rock star librarian, Ron Block. And it is so much fun and it's totally different from the show. So if you like hanging out with us here, you will love hanging out with us there. This past week, Ron talked to Y2 Moore and Lisa Donovan about the art of writing memoirs. And it was a really powerful episode. And this week, Ron is talking to Monica West and Wanda Morris about diverse voices in publishing. And I've listened to both of those and you do not want to miss them. Oh, I'm so excited. Those are going to be awesome. Yeah. All right. Now, book club, you know, we talk about it every week, but if you are not hanging out with us yet in the Friends and Fiction official book club, you are missing out. So the group, which is separate from us and is run by our friends, Lisa Harrison and Brenda Gardner, is now more than 8,000 strong. So on Sunday at 7 Eastern, the book club will be celebrating their one-year anniversary. Um, and then on Monday, uh, I will be joining them to discuss The Forest of Vanishing Stars, my brand new novel. And on September 20th, Patty will be joining to discuss one of her classic, much-loved novels, The Bookshop at Water's End. And we want to remind you that our bookseller of the week this week is Book Soup in L.A. And for, don't forget to check them out. Um, they've got some deals. And we hope that you will join us next week at 7. Uh, we're going to talk about debut novels. And um, we love talking about debuts. They're the newbies. And you're going to meet our special guest, a guy you might have heard of. I don't know. <laughs> Lou Diamond Phillips. There you go. <laughs> He's it. written a book. How cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. So cool. um, Gervais Haggerty and Addison Armstrong. Then in two weeks, join us as we welcome Karen Slaughter, who wrote the best-selling new novel, False Witness. I am reading it, and it's keeping me up. Oh, I bet. I am oh, I bet. You know, when you read Karen Slaughter, you don't dare close your eyes. Oh, nope. <laughs> no. and, and when you have her on the show, but just be don't ready. close your eyes. Don't don't close your eyes either. <laughs> be ready for a costume drama. That's all I can tell you. Oh, God. Um, also, that same night, Patty's going to share her trailer for Once Upon a Wardrobe. And you don't want to miss that. If there, you are ever wondering about our schedule, because there's a lot to keep up with. We can't even keep up with it all. I know. <laughs> it's always on the Friends in Fiction website, as well as a sidebar with events on our Friends in Fiction Facebook page. Okay, last announcement. Um, you guys might have heard that Mary Kay, Patty, and I all have winter books coming out this year. 
And if you want to be the very first to read them, make sure that you check out our Winter Wonderland subscription box with Nantucket Book Partners. Um, you'll receive the books just as they're released. They're all signed first editions along with um, a really awesome Friends of Fiction coffee mug and branded hot chocolate that you cannot get anywhere else. It's available exclusively through our friends at Nantucket Book Partners. And of, okay. and of course, tonight, our friends at Book Soup are offering us 10% off Malibu Rising and any of our new novels with the code BKSFF. And that's 10% off. Get your hands on Malibu Rising if you don't have it yet. And uh, think about that Winter Wonderland subscription box. I'm just saying. Yeah. I want to visit Book Soup. Oh, I know. The past couple of times I've been in LA, I've meant to go and haven't been able to go. So I'm putting that on my to-do list. It's a good one. Yeah. Taylor, I know we talked a lot about your history and moving to Hollywood, but a question that I love, that we all love, and our listeners do too, is a little bit of insight into why you became a writer, which is what were the values around reading and writing in your childhood? And how do you feel like those might have translated into you becoming the writer that you are? Uh, you know, I love this question. And and part of the reason I love this question is because I think a lot of times the answer is, you know, oh, we were big readers when we were kids. Or, uh, you know, there's my mom took me to the library every week. Um, that's not me. I was put in front of the TV. And, you know, it was the last Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and so I fell, I fell in love with reading as a teenager. I, I came to it. Uh, my grandmother loved to read and my mom actually loves to read. It was just, you know, you're a single mom. You got a lot to do, you know? Yeah. Um, and so when I was a teenager, my mom started bringing me to the bookstore and I remember she would, she, she, I would like pick out a book and, and then I was like, Oh, I don't know if I like it or not. She's like, yeah, that's cause you're cho choosing those ones with those like fancy little vague covers. She's like, you go for VC Andrews, you go, you know, and she really, she really taught me. Um, and my grandmother did too, you know, like how, you know, uh, you're just going to get a knockout book. And so uh, I came to it a, a little bit later, but have um, fallen in love with it all the same. Wait, oh, I, I cannot that. let you leave, Taylor, until I ask you a burning question that's burning uh -oh. in my heart. This is making me nervous, Taylor. <laughs> me Sorry. too. I'm just, <laughs> come on. We're all holding our breath. <laughs> what? Okay. What is your favorite Cary Grant movie? Oh, oh okay. that's harmless. Okay. <laughs> uh, very easy for me to answer. It's an affair to remember. Oh, that's oh. awesome. Oh, okay. Yeah. How about yours, Mary Kay? <laughs> Well, I have a hard time um, between charade. Yep. Hmm. And um, well, charade kind of says it all to me. Yeah, um, charade is a very good one. Charade, and um, there's another. What's the other one? Oh gosh, there's another one. I'm sort of in that Audrey Hepburn. Um, Oh, bring it up, baby is that's great. A great one. Yeah, okay. that's a little early for me though. I just love what yeah. I really love about Charade is how much older he was. Yes. Than yeah. Audrey Hepburn. And he knew it was inappropriate. <laughs> and he felt awkward about it, but yeah. I think that made it more charming to me. Yeah. It it's oh. just a great movie. And North by Northwest is another one of his that's great. Yeah. Story, his Girl Friday. I mean, they they you can't you can't miss. Yeah, love that. I have a lot of movie watching to do. I was yeah. going to say, I don't have a pen near me. I'm like, okay, yeah, I got to write that. Yeah, I'll give you the list. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you. 
Thank you. And to everyone out there, we really encourage you to grab Taylor's new novel, Malibu Rising. And how could you not with all you just heard? And hopefully from our bookseller of the week, Book Soup, that is offering 10% off. So thank you so much for visiting us tonight, Taylor. Taylor it was such you. a treat. You were an amazing guest. Thank you for and, having me. This is so um, cool what you guys do. And I'm just really flattered to be included. So thank you. Oh, well, thank oh, you. Have a great night. You. you too. Thanks. Bye. Bye thank you. Bye. That was amazing. All right, everyone, stick around. We'll see you in a minute at the Sip and Stay with StoryPoint after show in the summer of StoryPoint. Say that 10 times fast. I know, right? <laughs> Good luck with that. Week, same time, same place as we welcome our special debut novelist guests. That was great. Oh my gosh, wow. that was so awesome. Yeah. Thank you, guys. And well, welcome everyone to our Sip and to our Story Point Sip and Stay after show, the wine that loves stories as much as we do. So I wanted to like her a lot, and I do. Yeah. I was really nervous because I like yep. she's one of those authors that like to me, I mean, I mean, she is a celeb, but you know how we just they're different authors that like hit us yeah. all different ways. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm hosting. And but I feel the same, Patty, is like sometimes you meet someone and you're like, Oh, like she isn't as great yes, as I thought. Her. She's so yeah. great. She yep. is so great. That she was one of my favorite. So guests. Authentic. So I like, authentic. Yep. I feel like very, I was like leaning in the whole show to be like, yeah. okay, all right, I need yeah. like this, I need to write that down. This is so great. Like it's probably one that I'll rewatch. I thought she was an incredible guest. Yeah. yeah you know, they always say don't meet your heroes. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes yeah. your heroes don't disappoint you. Yeah. Like when you met Sue Grafton, right? Yeah. I think about that a lot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I met Sarah Jessica Parker. I was terrified because I loved Sex in the City so much. Yeah. You know, I was so scared when I met her that she wasn't going to live up to my huge expectations, but she was yeah. fantastic. Yep. So, yeah, I think we had that experience tonight with Taylor. She was yeah, great. Yeah, for sure. Patty, do you have anybody like that? Like anyone that you were like nervous to meet and then? I do. Um, I mean, there's a couple people. One was Pat Conroy for sure. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. You know, um, and then of course, you know, we became dear friends, but. The other one was um, the singer, Amy Grant. Do y'all oh, know yeah. who Amy Grant is? Yeah. And when I was in college, I mean, I played her music until the tape baby. broke. Baby, baby. And I just took the, the note. Okay, I'm not going for the high notes. And, and I think, um, I mean, I saw her at the Armory. <laughs> In karaoke party, I saw her at the Armory in um, Auburn when I in 1982, and she's only a couple years older than me, so she was maybe in her 20s. And um, meeting her is was you know she's exactly what who and what she seems to be, yeah. and I loved that. So, That's awesome. How about you, Chrissy? Um, this is gonna make you laugh, but you, you are mine. <gasps> Yeah. Like when I became an author, you were one of my first, like, I mean, I truly remember like meeting, like going to the event that we were doing and finding out that I was doing a panel with you. And at that point, I mean, it was only my first book, but I had done a lot of speaking events. So I wasn't nervous about speaking, but I was like, I can't be on a panel with Patty Kelly and Henry. Like I'll be too nervous. And I'll like say something stupid and you know, whatever. And then, and then fast forward two days and we were singing show tunes on the floor of a hotel room and drinking champagne out of a bottle. Out of the bottle. So, Absolutely. I mean, you know, and the rest is history. We all say stupid things all the time. Yeah, Every, I didn't yep, want to say anything, but she kind of lived up to my expectations. 
If you were going to tell that whole story and then go, and you know what? You didn't do it for me. You didn't, didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, forgot her name. Oh, I know. Right. Right. Here, Kirsten. No <laughs> Kelly. What, what's your name? Again? Kathy, Kathy, Christie, Kathy, Chris. So, and I remember it was so funny. Like you were like taking care of us because we had that long weekend and you were like, okay, here's your emergency. Take your vitamin C. Yep. <laughs> That. I brought you a Perrier. Like, it was so That's hilarious. Yeah. That sounds oh, like hilarious. very patty. That's very awesome. hilarious. It was really that's fun. Hilarious. Really fun. All right, Kristen, we're dying to know. Did you survive the first day of kindergarten? Yes. Um, you know, of course, like anybody dropping their kid off at kindergarten the first day, I was all teary after he got out of the car, right? Like I saved it till after he was out of sight. Um yep. I was very emotional. He had a great first day. He hopped right out of the car and walked in. No fear. Um, I was so proud of him. He had a, yeah, he had a great first day and a great second day today. And it's all going really well. Thank you for asking. Aww. And how are you doing? Oh, I was like a puddle of emotions on the floor yesterday. I was a disaster. But, mm -hmm. um, but you know what? I he he's a great kid, and and it's yes, a great school, and um. I'm, I'm so, it could not have turned out better so far, at least. <laughs> so those um, first yeah, two days are great. Good. We've done it now. So and can great. we quit? Yeah. <laughs> Meg said, because he has a great Aww. mom. Right. Yeah, true. So, so you all remember the first day you dropped your kids off at school. I mean, yeah. mine was in the dinosaur age. I can hardly remember. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember I, the more as an impression than like yeah. the actual physical. I remember yeah. that gut level feeling that she's talking about, but yeah. like, I don't, I don't know. But Chrissy, you just did it a couple of years ago. Yeah. Well, I actually really remember two-year-old preschool, like the very most, like he did one of those little, you know, two day a week, yes. like programs yep. or whatever. And the really hilarious thing was I remember dropping him off and he was very uncertain and he really didn't want to go and he wasn't really sure. And then he ended up loving it and he had a great time. But the funny thing was they had a rule where you couldn't like bring I mean, you brought your snack and whatever, but you couldn't bring like stuffed animals or lovies or, you know, because you would have to, they would have to keep up with them. And he was going through this huge Mickey and Minnie phase. And so we lived really close, close to the preschool. And so I would stroll him to preschool in the morning and he had his little Mickey and Minnie. And I was like, no, when we get to school, you know, we have to take him home. And so I was like, just so upset, you know, when I left, I was like, I can't believe a baby's too little. Like I shouldn't have done this. Yeah. This is a terrible idea. Yeah. And, and so I'm walking down the street with the stroller when my friend stops and she's like, you know how you look right now with an empty <laughs> stroller with a Mickey and Minnie stuffed animal in it, right? That's awesome. and I just started dying laughing and it like totally, she was like, it's a, it's a little suspect. Like someone's going to call the police. This is a problem. That's awesome. That's amazing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. oh I, I wish we had a photo of that. Why don't we have a photo? Actually, we do. It's not, I'll, have, I'll see if I can scrounge it up. But no, she took a photo and sent it to I, Andy, um, who is going to be 35 in September. Um, Katie, his big sister, who's four, who was four years older, she went right off to Aww. preschool, you know, to that. run it, basically, to yeah, tell everyone, here's what we that. do, yeah. here's what we do, let's have some mm -hmm. charts. But Andrew, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <charts>. <laughs> not, not so much. 
And so uh, I, he was in a mother's morning out and I was, I was working full time as a newspaper reporter. I had a housekeeper. And so her, her job was to get to the house or pick him up from, pick both of them up from school and bring them home. And so um, the preschool Katie had already gone through, she was four years old. And as I said, she came out of the womb, an adult. (laughs) <laughs> Andrew, not so much. I got a call. And so I had been involved with the school and I'd actually been on the little kindergarten or preschool board. I got a call from the school and they said, um, Kathy, uh, you need to come get Andrew. And I said, oh, my God, what happened? And they said, well, uh, he won't stop crying. The only way he will stop crying is if the teacher holds him in her lap and it's hard oh. for her to teach <laughs> preschool. With, you know, 12, (laughs) four-year-olds with him in her lap. Because he was convinced we were not coming back for him. He was was thinking it was like taken or something. So (laughs) his sister loves to torment him with like, dude, you flunked out of preschool. No. That's so sweet, Andy. But wait, we want to know about MKA Vacay. How yeah, was it? You did so many things. I, you had like I six did. vacations in one. Like, it's you know, crazy. We were trapped at home for so long. I, I just said, I want to go somewhere different. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want, I don't want to be hot. And it was hot in New England. So we went to, we flew into Boston. I'd never been to Fenway. I wanted, you know, Tom loves <laughs> Mexicans. <laughs> Liam Neeson to rescue Andrew from preschool. <laughs> um, Meg, and you know what? Right. She's sitting there with her mom, Kathy, and that's probably yeah. from Kathy. Right? Kathy's egging her off. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we flew into Boston. Yeah. Yeah. We went to a Red Sox game at Fenway. Um, and, but I have to tell you, my favorite part. Oh, we went to the uh, Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum. So cool. And, you know, where the big the art heist happened. Um which oh, yeah. is why it was fascinating to me because they stole stuff. And, but after, after the game, we left early because it was starting to rain. We went for drinks and late dinner at the Fairmont Plaza, Copley oh, Fairmont Plaza, on Cop- nice. you know, right on Copley Square. So and it was so chic and fun oh. and the, the most delicious truffle fries you've ever tasted. Then we went to Nantucket and, um, Awesome. Went to Nantucket and we went to dinner and drinks at, you know, Ellen Hildebrand's house. As, we, as you do. As you do. One does. Yeah, I mean, that's someone, that's someone who was as, um, like, I, I remember thinking, wow, she's like really, really nice the first time yeah, I ever met her. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we went to dinner and drinks at her house. It was like being in a Nancy Meyer movie the whole <laughs> time. And did a signing at Mitchell's with our darling Tim um, from Mitchell's. And um, that was great. And we had a, you know, we had some delightful dinners, had drinks with um, Nat Philbrick, who is a friend of of ours and Meg's. He writes amazing narrative nonfiction history books. Um, such a great guy and we met his dog Dora and um had lunch with Nancy Thayer and her husband wow and then as one does in Nantucket of course and then we had drinks with Patty's agent 
Yeah, Meg. Absolutely. Yeah. So we did the whole, and then we, uh, Tim from from Nantucket Book Partners, very generously offered us his Jeep, and we roamed around the island and got to places we wouldn't have gotten to see. So it was great. And then we we went we went back and went to a um, Cape Cod League baseball game, and it was like being in small town. Patty and I both used to do those games when we were kids. Mm -hmm. It's like being in small town America. You know, at the seventh inning stretch, everybody stands up and sings, take me out to the ball game. And they raffle. And they really, and they eat popsicles and popcorn and and sit on blankets. Yeah, they raffled off a washer dryer as they do. (laughs) As you do. Uh, Which, which, which team did you go see, uh, Kathy? We, our friend was helping coach the Hyannis Harbor Hawks. Oh, it was so, so much we fun. were in Orleans. So. Yeah, or, the Orleans, yeah. Card- Orleans yeah. Cardinals. Yeah. Yep. That, those, those are the ones we used to go see too. That yeah. is so funny. I know. <laughs> we're all connected in a thousand ways. Somebody kicked Christy off, but I'm sorry. Um, I feel like your Nantucket vacation, Meg just wrote, MKA takes Nantucket. She came, she saw, <laughs> she conquered. I mean, well, when I saw the picture, you and Tim, I was jealous of. Yes. Yep. Ellen, Nat. Yep. But when I saw you having drinks with my agent, I, I mean, I, I got that stab of jealousy, man. Seriously, yeah. FOMA. Well, we had we had fun and, and we did discuss oh. you. And then we went to we went to um Southwest New Hampshire and stayed oh, nice. stayed with old friends from St. Pete who own an inn. And we sat on the village green in this little town of Fitzwilliam and we listened to a traditional six piece Irish band. Awesome. And he sent us the shot yeah. of it with the music yeah. and I kept hitting play, play, play. So Christy just texted and said um, that her computer just totally crashed. <gasps> but Sean is saying that he has the picture. Show it, Sean. Oh, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, she looks mad. Like and mad I'm, as in I'm British sorry, but, mad. But who is surprised that Christy looks like a supermodel on her child's first day of preschool? I mean, d- she looks like the like a I model know. of like oh the I model of, it up of, of madness. Right. Oh my yeah. god, I, I looked like I was like one step away from being admitted to a mental asylum, like an insane asylum yesterday. Well, the stroller with Mickey and Minnie kind of does lend yeah, that, that that's true. That's to true. it. That does so. that for her. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Since we lost our leader for the night, I guess yeah. we should go. Well, but was- Kathy, Mary Kay, Kathy, we missed you. And I'm yeah, we, we loved living vicariously. Oh. <laughs> through you the pictures were great the b and b that's for can sale about, can we just talk about the wine my wine is out oh, that's yeah. why we have to stop talking we have to, we end. Have to go come on we're story we need point. some we're more story, story point. point all right and this is this Y'all is are, you know we that's how many, pitiful. That's pitiful wait right there are they are they taking us out no what i don't we're still here I think so what i just was going to say that um you know, what's summer without some story point yeah. and some stories? Well, and, you know, the Chardonnay is so nice right now, but as we head into fall, we can start sipping the uh, the red wine as the nights get a little bit cooler, right? I always worry with the red wine, though, I'm going to spill it on myself or spill it on my nice cream-colored carpet in here. This just, I'm always scared of my own self. Is it okay I just if love I how the thing the just is blocking me out. Come back. There you go. <laughs> Switch it out. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Story Point. Thanks, y'all. This was so much fun. Yep. This was really great. All right. Love you, ladies. Good night. Love y'all, too. Good night.
See you later, Gators. Bye. Thank you for tuning in. Join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And please, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.